Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 279. This episode is with first team physical performance coach at Portsmouth, George Bell. George only joined the club towards the back end of last year, so we spoke about some of his previous roles, especially the role at Leeds and some of the managerial changes that happened at the club. And we spoke about working with the one and only Marcelo Bielsa as well. So there's some great insights into that coming up for you. We spoke about the academy profiling that they do at Leeds and how that fits in with some of the discussions with the MDT at the club. They set up some brilliant systems there um, and George gives a really good insight into that. Then we talked about understanding positional requirements, how that then feeds into individualised programmes And we spoke about a topic that we covered on our online community this week in our WhatsApp group, which was how we go about keeping the sessions with players outside the squad or on limited minutes fresh throughout a season. Obviously, Portsmouth, as we recorded this episode, uh, flying high, hopefully going to get promoted. Um, And at that point, at this time of the season, there's there's injuries at clubs, there's consistent starting 11s, so there's a lot of players that are, tend to be in the same sort of schedule week on week, so how do we keep it fresh? And George had some great insights into how he approaches that, but also how they go about it at Portsmouth, which I think was quite unique as well. So make sure you listen out for those, some great advice from George coming up. As this podcast goes out, we are one week away from our next networking event, which is on Thursday the 29th of February at Colchester United. We've had a great uptake on tickets. We've had a number of clubs represented so far. Tottenham, Maidstone United, Ipswich. Um, we've had Cambridge, Gillingham and a number of other clubs as well. So if you're interested in coming to the event to watch presentations from Dave Carolan and Hayden Clifton, if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and you'll be able to go on to networking events and grab your tickets there. If you are coming with a colleague, make sure to check out the two-ticket offer, which is available at that same link, and that will get you two tickets at a slightly cheaper rate as well. So hopefully we will see you there. And also, breaking news, we've got a brand new event coming up in March, on Wednesday the 20th of March. We are heading back to Goodison Park, the home of Everton. For an evening of networking, we're going to be after the alumni event for John Moores, which is always a great event. So some brilliant coaches um, attend that event. Loads of people that have gone through that pathway that have gone on to do a number of different roles, which there's an incredible list of. We've got three presentations at our event. Chloe Edwards is the lead physical performance coach at Everton Women. She's going to be presenting alongside owner of Malone Performance, James Malone. And also Aston Villa, Aston Villa even, Senior Academy Sports Scientist James Coneboy are all going to be presenting for us. Tickets are now available at that same link, so go to footballfitfed.com, check out the networking events tab on the shop. And again, if you are coming with a friend or a colleague, check out the two-ticket offer as well, which is now available. This podcast wouldn't happen without our sponsors, so I want to say a massive thank you to the Good Prep, the Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. 
Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you have to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. This podcast is brought to you by Hytro, the number one BFR brand in pro sport, helping teams and athletes improve performance and recover faster with their blood flow restriction wearables. Built for sport and proven by science, check out hytro.com to find out more. Also, make sure to check out Rezzle, our longest standing sponsors doing some amazing work in the world of VR. That's Rezzle over on social media. And let's get into episode 279 with the first team physical performance coach at Portsmouth, George Bell. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 279 and welcoming on to the podcast today. I've been hunting him down for a while. George Bell. George, how are we doing? Ben, how are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, I've been peppering you with messages to get you on because I know this is, this will be good today. And there's a lot of experiences I know that you can talk about. I think the people that came to our event um, I can't even remember when it was now, but back at Leeds, when you presented at Leeds, people took a hell of a lot away from that. So I think we can expand on some of that today. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Top man. Well, Judge, we always start in the same place on these podcasts. So we always start with your background. I've not mentioned your current role just yet, but what leads you up to your current role at Portsmouth? So do you want to just take us back onto a little bit of a journey? Yeah, no problem. So yeah, I started out studying at IT Carlo. Um, back in Ireland. So the first course that I studied there was um, a BA sports and exercise. They call it soccer because there was also a football course, a Gaelic football course and a rugby course. So I spent three years on there, then moved on to BSC in sports management and coaching. So in that year, um, analysis work, different things, and we also did our B licence. So that's something that across the years working in football is obviously the coaches respect you much more for having having that background in coaching. Um, yeah, and then I stayed on to the two-year part-time MSc in strength and conditioning. At the same time, I was up in Dublin working at the FAI, Football Association of Ireland, doing an internship. So the internship was actually in um, video analysis and communications. So doing interviews and um, prepping for games and things like that. So a little bit off, off topic, but it was... Um, yeah, it was really, really good experience, which actually led me to where I currently am today, I guess. Um, so my first experience really in the strength and conditioning background is at Bray Wanderers, uh, a League of Ireland club. And in that time in the League of Ireland, there's very, very few strength and conditioning coaches. It's quite, quite unique to have one. Um, so 
the facilities and things were quite limited as to what we had available to us. So we had to come up with different ways of getting the most out of the lads and providing as much as we could for those guys. Um, and like I said, then it was actually while I was doing that internship in the FAI that Leeds United first team were training there at the facility for, for pre-season. Um, they had no gantry. It was delayed and getting delivered. So I was sent out with the, with the end zone camera that just used to shoot up so you could record training. So I was absolutely buzzing. Like I was able to watch all the first team training sessions in pre-season um, and got speaking to the right guys. Uh, Rushy that was there at the time, um, most recently, I think at Birmingham, I uh, got speaking to him and I just said, oh, by any chance could I come across to Leeds like and just uh, shadow you guys for a week? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Like just drop us a message. So I followed up on it, came across, hired a car, stayed in a hotel for the week. Cost, cost a little bit, but... While I was there, a job came up in Brighton, I think it was, and I said to Rushy, do you reckon it'd be worth applying for? And he says, do you know what? There's actually a job coming up here with, under, with our under-18s. He said, you should apply for it. So applied for it a couple of months later, interviewed, and uh, was offered the job. So um, there's a little bit of right place for right time. But uh, yeah, that's, that's how it all really started. Um, I was with the under-18s then for, for two years or so. And before moving up to the under under twenty ones, and then stayed with under twenty ones for, I guess it was five years in total, um, and the last year of that was head of academy physical development, um, and yeah, then November twenty twenty three, I had the opportunity to come down here to Portsmouth, uh, working alongside their first team, so as a physical performance coach, and I've been here roughly three months now, and yeah, it's it's been really really good. Awesome, mate. We were just talking about the, the league and we're not going to jinx anything, um, so we'll catch up at the end of the season. But yeah, anyone that knows uh, where Portsmouth, Portsmouth are in the league at the moment, we'll obviously see how things have been going. But I just wanted to break down that a little bit because I know you mentioned there being sort of right place, right time with Leeds training, um, obviously where you were based. But there's also lessons in that because a lot of coaches would have probably missed that opportunity to go and speak to people, put yourself out there and network with the coaches and even put yourself out there in a way of saying, I'm, I'm going to come over and commit to the fact that, like, can I come and, and, and watch and get some experience? So what do you think it is there? Because that, that could that could have been a opportunity missed, couldn't it? Very easily if you'd have sort of stayed in your shell and not put yourself out there. So what, what yeah. sort of advice would you have to, to coaches? Definitely what I think. It all really starts out from the course in IT Carlo. The guys down there are fantastic. Any opportunity that came up, um, we were offered it. And we were always like, our group uh, group was kind of the first ones to put our hands up. Like we went away on a weekend and recorded Football's Next Star. So we were the coaches on Football's Next Star in Ireland. Um, anything that came up, basically, we were the first ones to put our hand up. And even that internship in the FAI, I was... Um, the dole I don't know if it's the same here but um, I was drawing the dole while also earning an extra 50 euro on top and yeah. that was to live in Dublin of that much money but I knew that the opportunities were so good um, and that something will come about so yeah it's just I guess like you say it's, it's taking those opportunities as they come yeah definitely the other thing I wanted to just talk about before we move it on is um, obviously football in Ireland now you're looking at the clubs and the coaches at some of the different clubs as some top level coaches now in that league. So where do you feel like, I know you're obviously based 
here now, but where do you feel the standard of support for players is currently at in terms of in the Irish league? Yeah, it's it's definitely improving. Um, I have a few good friends still working at the Football Association and um, my dad's also involved with the club back home and things like that. And you can really see that they're starting to invest much, much more into it. Um, and it's all games are getting televised now and things like that, which which like you see in the UK with the women's game as well, it's pushed that on massively. Um, and yeah, the support now, every team has a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. And that's that's normal now. Whereas when I started out, it wasn't that normal. That's only eight, 10 years ago. So it's not that long ago, really. Um, but yeah, they, they're investing a lot more money into it now and um, taking a much more professional uh, approach to it, I think. Yeah, 100%. Now, it's obviously, we've got community members that are based over there that are working at a different club, so we get a bit of an insight. And obviously, we did the event over in Dublin last year, which we're hoping to do again this year. And, um, no, it's great to see. There's, I mean, in terms of the practitioners over there, I think that event in particular has been one of the best in terms of questions and people really seeking answers to some of the the issues or problems that they're facing within their role. So there's a lot of sort of forward thinking coaches, isn't there, that yeah, that are trying to really progress. Yeah. And even during COVID, um, the guy set up Irish Strength and Conditioning Association. Yeah. So that's, that's a first. And it's been unbelievable. Like it's been brilliant, especially during COVID times when we had so much spare time to, to do all those things and they've continued it on and developed it even further. So that's great in itself for, for the industry in Ireland. 100%. Let's move on to your time at Leeds now. So looking at the club, there was a few changes, I know, in terms of um, coaches, managerial changes. But the one that probably sticks out the most is um, when Marcelo Bielsa was there. And we've touched on it a little bit in previous episodes with a few people that have that have worked alongside him. But what were your some of your experiences and how did his work impact the work that you did? Yeah, he was um, an interesting guy. He was incredibly demanding, like crazy. Um, but as the as I was working with the under twenty ones, uh, both squads worked really closely together. So most days the under twenty one squad would train with the first team, which was a fantastic opportunity for those guys. And um, it, it doesn't go to wonder that with seven, uh, I think it was even eight appearances in the uh, first team appearances with that with that squad in that season. So um, there was plenty of opportunity there. Um, our biggest job was making those players aware that one good training session could like change their, their career basically mm-hmm. and he was that kind of a character that he'd see something in a player that he would absolutely love um, and that would be that would be their next shot um, he'd obviously body composition and fitness levels was like real priority for him Uh he made sure that everybody was in incredible shape with weighing in every single day. Uh, players didn't particularly like it, but you look at the stats from those seasons that they're in the Premier League. And I, I think of that um, at the presentation down Ellen Road, we showed you the, the high speed distance and things like that for that squad. It was off the chart. Like it was, yeah. it was incredible. Um, it was also an incredibly challenging time for players and staff. Like you were working maybe three weeks at a time. Um, without a single day off, you get a day off and you're back in. You might mm. have a trip down to London, you'd be playing against Arsenal. You've had a late night, you're back at two in the morning maybe, and you're in the next morning at eight o'clock for full day's work. And some of those players 
will be expected to go out and train. Mm. So the big thing that I realized from it is you do, do not know the boundaries. Um, so it's one of those you do not learn in, in university or college. It's just that um, the boundaries can be stretched quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it was challenging. I was close. I, can lie, I was close a couple of times just saying, this isn't for me. I need to, I need to find a different route here because this is really, really tough. But I just couldn't turn down the challenge. Or the, I just couldn't turn down the opportunities and the challenges that that were there. I really felt like it was a team that was going to be successful, and I want to be part of that. Even though we were from afar, being with under twenty ones, and it's still everyone felt together because so often players came down from the first team and played with under twenty ones. Because obviously, it's it's coveted a lot in terms of his style of play and how that impacts over onto the players and it's interesting you say about the initial um, I suppose reaction from the players when he's trying to implement this style of play but for you as a practitioner I know you're saying that it's it was tough and very demanding but at the same time did it open your eyes to the point of actually we can push players a lot harder than what we think and and somewhat I suppose that not textbooks are thrown out the window because obviously we need a rationale behind what we do, but things can be stretched. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. Um, the chronic loads that the players built up from our guys, 21s in particular, was crazy. And we were quite fortunate that season. We picked up very, very few non-contact soft tissue injuries, which you would not expect. Yeah. Um, I remember I remember back today where the there was a murder ball session on a, I think it was a Saturday morning for a group of players that wasn't traveling with the first team. So some of the under 18s came up and trained in that session. But as soon as the murder ball session finished, they had to run inside. The kit was already set out, set out and ready for them. They were all, they trained in their shorts and, and like socks and shinnies, ran into the changing room, got their shirt on back out on the pitch to kick off an under 18s game at 11 o'clock. It was mental, but it worked. The players got through the game, a couple of cramps maybe, but the players got through it. And um, I, do, I am now a believer that unless those boundaries are pushed, you may not achieve your, your outcome. Like you will not get to where you think you're capable of. Um, so that's definitely helped me now uh, continuing on in my career is to know exactly where those boundaries are and trying to find the balance. I think that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose... A lot of coaches or systems and the way, way that clubs work, they get put into a funnel where everyone works in a similar way. And when you get this one different approach that's so different to everyone else, that sort of goes against what everything that we've, we've learned and how you treat players and how players prepare, we're laughing because it, laugh, it is laughable. But at the same time, you, you've got to take... You've got to take um, a lot of lessons from it at the same time, haven't you? Yeah, it was incredible. It was so exciting to, to be part of because you'd be in a game, you could be 3 0 up. You think, oh, we could lose this here. Or you could be you could be equally 3 0 down. You think, oh, we could still win this here. It's like yeah. still on. But it was such a unique way of training, the fact that it was broken down versions of the game, basically. Um, and some of them became quite repetitive. They were every single day you were doing the same practice. Yeah. But every repetition was a maximal effort, acceleration, decelerate, change direction, whatever it was. But it was um it was a broken down version, like I say, of the game. Um but yeah, it was it was really good. 
George, you just referenced it there, and I'm just aware that there might be people that aren't quite sure of what a murderable session looks like. So yeah. can you give can you give just a little um, insight into what that actually is? Yeah, it's definitely a question a lot of people ask. And it's, nothing, <laughs> it's nothing special at all, really. It's the format was typically five times five minutes, um, but there was coaches down the middle of the pitch. There was support staff around the outside holding footballs ready to throw them in, and it was obviously man for man. So it was just incredibly intense. Um, but that might be all the session was. It could be warm-up, five blocks of five minutes football. And um, that was it. But it was extremely demanding. And uh, yeah, the players felt when they went into, into a game on a weekend that they were ready. Um, and the game felt easy. And that's where the opportunity came for our guys, really, was that on a Wednesday, they may have had to be a server for most of the week, Monday, Tuesday, they might have just had to play a pass for a first-team player that was doing the drill. But on Wednesday, that was their opportunity because um, they always needed players to step up and make up the numbers to make it on MV11. So they always were in the shop window, basically. Yeah. So that was their opportunity to impress. That's, like I said before, that was our job um, almost was to encourage these guys that you are getting this opportunity. You need to train with everything you have because it could change everything for you. Yeah, definitely. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we did the event at Leeds, I feel like that was maybe just after he'd left. Is that right? I think so, yeah. I think that's when maybe Jesse had just come in at that point. Or maybe... I feel like that was the case. Yeah, I feel like it was even the so, first, yeah. first few days, maybe. Yeah. So when when that happens, and obviously you've had this extreme approach to um, preparing players and then there's a managerial change which is different it's always going to be different but how did that impact your work then and the work that you did with your players yeah it definitely changed so Jesse was big on um, HMLD as a metric as a measure for training so he could go out on a Tuesday and say today the aim is 800 HMLD so when we hit that point the session may finish for those individuals or for the group he gauge it live uh, based on the live GPS and um, his big thing was just maximizing availability so having players available for the weekend whereas on the other hand Marcelo wasn't happy unless there was a number of players in the in the physio room because he's not pushing them hard enough yeah um, so yeah that was the kind of the difference there but it was an incredible culture that Jesse created because everybody felt like part of it he was a completely open book. Um, you could go in and sit in his pre-match presentations if you wanted almost. He was just that sort of a guy that wanted everybody included. And um, he even had a, a fines box for the players. So the first team players, if they were late, they had to pick a name out of a box. And in the box was all the staff members. Um, and on it was what they wanted to the value of, I think it was £500. So... It might have been a £500 voucher for American Golf, for example. Right. Obviously, all the first-team staff, I think some of them got pulled out a couple of times and then started adding in some more of the under-21 staff and things. Brilliant. But unfortunately, he had gone before my name got pulled out. I was but, just about to say, what did you get? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, he was a great guy. Like, I know there's been a bit of backlash from in the media recently, but yeah, it was always in the right place, definitely. I know I reference it a few times in this episode, but if you've not already checked out the presentations from our Leeds United networking event that George presented on alongside his colleagues at Leeds, you need to go and check it out. 
They presented on the physical development framework at the club and a lot of the things that George speaks about in this episode are presented on a visual presentation so they'll make sense to you in terms of how they work within the MDT and how players transition throughout the academy into first team and how they work together as well. So if you've not watched it and you want to go and watch it, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there and it'll give you a free 30-day trial. After your 30-day trial, you become a full member of our online community. You get invited into our members WhatsApp group where we have some great discussions and you get access to all the great information and content we've got coming over the next few weeks as well, as well as over 150 hours of content that is available right now on the community. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there to a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with George Bell. Um, Just referring back to the presentations that that you guys did for us, you talked a lot about um, the profiling in the academy and how that works. And it was was amazing to see because obviously you presented alongside some of your colleagues at the time um, and to get the full sort of spectrum on how it works through the academy into the first team was, was great to see. Can you talk to us? I know it's harder to talk on a podcast than it is presenting and showing um, some visuals at the same time, but can you give a little bit of a breakdown that, of that for the listeners? Yeah, no. So um, when we profile the players, we, we broke down into four areas of so fast, fit, strong and agile. Um, and then further to that, then we looked at whether they're in ready to ready to win, ready to perform, time to develop or time to graft. So we set like a minimum standard. And some of that was based off the triple P um, data that we, we would have collected based on being a Cat 1 Academy. And then some of it was just based on like some of the tests, the one kilometer time trial that we had um, or the 12 minute run that was just based on experience and, uh, and our expertise on that one. Um, that then fed in nicely to MDT process. So when we were trying to develop IDPs, individual development plans for our players, we could just look at um, where, the, where the sat rather than looking at a number and trying to figure out, oh, he could do it this or that. You're like, no, he's in time to graft or time to develop he needs to work on his speed um, so speed was broken down into uh, 5 10 20 counter movement jump um, for example so we knew that that was an area that they needed to develop um, and I know as well you we spoke to Sam Baratloff recently his PhD has just been submitted um, and he he did a lot of work in this and um, so basically his PhD was a multidisciplinary profiling of elite youth soccer players, implications for talent identification, development and selection or deselection. So he spent obviously a number of years looking into all of our data and trying to suggest off that whether a player's development looked like the trend of a player that's succeeded, I guess, at the club and whether it's worth keeping that player on or whether they were better off moving on to the opportunities. Um, so yeah, if you, I guess if with that as well then, we created a decision-making tree. So we've all had it, basically. A manager comes to you and says, ah, oh, he doesn't look fit. So we say, okay. So we go and look at the player's data and we say, right, he's in ready to win. This player, mm-hmm. we say, is really, really fit. So then we go on from that and look at, say, the GPS data from a game. So, yeah, this player, he's achieving what we want physically from the game. So then it must be, we feel like it must be a tech tact um, 
tic-tac reason for that and um, why he's not achieving what the manager wants but on the other side if it's if his numbers are pretty poor in game and not what we'd expect for his position we then uh, assume that it may be tic-tac psych or nutritional is he fueled appropriately for the game and then uh, i guess on the flip side if somebody's down there at the time to graft it's like more so about whether we introduce some additional condition or not and what that condition looks like and um, so we always approach it with the is he training to his maximal because if he's not what's the point in adding in some more additional work it's it's, it's not going to happen so we focus firstly on getting the player to train to his maximal and then consider adding in some other additional work after that and with that we've actually created some bike sessions so with the what bike we created eight or ten different sessions but each session had a name on it and it was based on club legends or staff members oh, so had a little bit more of a personal touch to it so if if we had a group of injured players in and they come in in the morning and uh, the physio hands them out their session for the day and it's like oh you've got the yorkshire perlo or whatever um, they think oh no you've got the you've got the tough one or whatever they, they kind of had that little bit more of a personal touch to it so yeah we found that really really good so those discussions with the mdt then with these models in place did you just find that that was a much easier smoother obviously there's still opinions but is it is it an easier discussion to have Yeah, definitely. I think it's simplified things a lot because you're trying to explain numbers wherever understand fully. So by just having these four different categories that a player falls into, they understand very quickly, oh, he needs to work on that or he doesn't. So yeah, I think it made things a lot smoother in that process. It's also, again, something we talked about a lot, using language that everyone understands. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really important, isn't it? Because there's no... There's no hiding anything within those names. Like people understand exactly where they're at. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's a lesson for people as well, that if you are setting any sort of system or model in place, it has to relate to everybody that's going to be within that discussion, doesn't it? Whether that's physio, head coach, manager, assistant, coach, whoever it's going to be, it yeah. has to relate to everybody. Definitely, yeah. Brilliant. Um, George, as well, I wanted to talk about positions, how positions impact the, your approach of players and also taking this into how each position and different types of players impacts the actual work that you do with them. So can you break that down for us? Yeah, so for the um, position requirements, we kind of, it's having that understanding and knowledge of the requirements of each position is really, really important. So when it comes to conditioning drills, you know exactly what that player requires. And also then when you're designing the sessions, you, like having a tactical or technical understanding of what they require doing makes it a little bit easier for us. Um, something I found quite useful is reviewing games. So I'll watch video back of the match on the weekend and clip uh, physical actions for each individual player. So they don't just see me as the guy that tells them to run more because I want them to run more and it's... <laughs> I actually look into the game and show them where those actions, uh, where those actions are required. Yeah. And during the week, then we we typically aim for sixty to seventy percent of their game values in high speed running um, and sprint distance. So we know that we're preparing them adequately going into the games, and they all have max velocity exposure 
in those weeks leading up to the game. I think another area that we we focus a lot on at the minute is the players who aren't playing, the players that are out of the squad. So on a Saturday when there's a game, you may only have two players that needs topping up. So if you know exactly what that player needs physically and what his position requires, you can then prepare him adequately to have him ready because he may be number three in the pecking order of, of um, selection, but that can change so quickly. Um, so if they're not if they're currently number three and they're not ready to be number two, then they're not going to make it. So we need to just make sure they're they're training every single day that they're ready for the for the opportunity when it comes about. Because if they sit back and and don't train with that intensity every day, they're not going to be ready when it comes about, and the coach won't select them again more than likely. Just I, I want to just bounce back to the individual work for a second, and then we'll come back to. Um, the players that aren't playing because that, that's been something that's come up on our community this week actually so it, it works quite nicely but just with that individual work it really interests me with the clips because in terms of getting player buy-in surely that is a real way of making players aware of the importance of some of the work that they're doing yeah definitely I think when I first started doing it um, the players were kind of oh George is showing me clips like what's going on here <laughs> Like they think it's a bit strange but for me it makes perfect sense because without the physical like I think the two needs to be molded in together a little bit more I think you can't have the physical without the technical it, it just doesn't happen so I think it's really important that we can mold the two into one um, and then highlight to the players the importance of the extensive days why we do these transitions or on the intensive days and the change of direction work, why exactly we do that, and then show them examples of it in the game. I definitely think it helps with buy-in. And what's been the players' reaction to that? Has that been has it been mixed? Has everyone sort of got involved? No, I think they've actually appreciated it. I've tried to do it quite relaxed. So they might just be in the gym waiting for a session to start. And I'll just grab out the laptop and just say, Oh, look at this. I've just clipped you a couple of bits on, on huddle. And um I think they really appreciate it because they feel like you're you're doing all this work for them um, and all players enjoy typically anyway enjoy watching back uh, themselves in the game especially when it's more often than not positive uh, clips but at times I will show them areas where I think that they maybe could have made a run for example and I'm more than open for them then to say oh no because of the time in the game or because of what the manager said I don't want to make that run at that stage in the game and I'm absolutely fine with that it just um, it's just kind of creating conversation with the players a little bit as well. Yeah, that's when key discussions are had, aren't they? Because you, you're getting an insight into maybe an area that you weren't aware of, but you can get, still give your opinion and you never know where yeah. that's going to go. Now, I think that's really powerful. It's, it reminds me of um, back on one of the other episodes, can't remember which episode it was, of having clips in the gym of um, different games, maybe even that team's games and certain parts of play that translate to the gym and I think that gives players a real insight doesn't it into why they're doing what they're doing if it's simply just a rationale or whether it's that little bit of motivation to be like actually these are real areas that I can improve yeah 100% definitely and then in terms of that when you're doing that breakdown which is funny that it spirals back to the analysis and something that you mentioned earlier on in the episode but um, when you're looking back at that is there anything that you look at within a game, and especially when you're clipping it, because I know a lot of managers have spoke about 
watching live and watching clips back can be very, very different. Um, I think it was Eddie Howe, actually, that was interviewed the other day, and that's what he was saying. It's, it can be a very different game when you watch it back. But just in terms of that, lessons for you and then the, how that crosses over into programming the, what you do in terms of the gym work and maybe even some pitch work as well, does that have a big impact or, do, or is it just used as like a rationale of this is why we do it or these are areas we need to develop? Yeah, it's definitely more as a rationale. So I didn't really mention that my current role is mainly just pitch-based. We have a guy, Max Whittingham, that's more gym-based and end-stage rehab. Yeah. Um, so my remit is mainly on the pitch. But um, like I was saying before, Bielsa's drills, a lot of them were um, broken-down versions of the game. So when I try doing some of these drills with the players, um, I try to look for examples in-game to show them this is the drill. It may not feel right doing this, but look at the game. It happens quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time we're preparing, especially in those smaller group sessions, we're preparing them for worst case scenarios. So how they recover from getting um, beaten by an opponent or whatever it is, it's how quickly they can change direction to go again. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely just to give them a little bit of examples and background into that as well. Brilliant. Yeah, I mentioned before, we have different conversations each week, each week on our community and different topics crop up. And this week was about players that aren't playing. So whether in squad, um, on the bench, getting limited minutes or no minutes, or even players out the squad. And you've talked about it before in terms of top-ups. What, and, and especially this time of the season when clubs either have got squads stretched with injuries or whatever, or that certain teams are flying and they don't want to make too many changes. You see the same group of players involved within that top-up group, don't you? So what's been your experience on keeping the extra work that they do they do fresh? Because we get might be at a stage of the season now where they've done it for months and months and months. And like you mentioned, they need to be ready because they need to be able to step into a playoff game or one of the final games where you need the, the, the points, they need to come on and score the winner. How do you go about keeping that fresh for those players? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. One of the things I did before moving down was I had a chat with Adam Kerr and that was one of my questions to him was like, how do I keep this, like keep the lads motivated um, in that top-up group? And he's just like, just keep it in, keep it fun, keep it yeah. uh, competitive and keep it fun. So something that we've tried to do is every single top up section we'll do either crossbar challenge or foot golf so if there's five players each one creates their own uh, hole and how many shots it should take to get there and um, so immediately you kind of win them over a little bit um, and then as well with that the session the coaches here at Portsmouth join in so we may only have two players in the top up group on a Saturday but there's three coaches the manager and, uh, and two others and they'll join in in the session and it actually really helps yeah, um, because they've they've all played at a really really high level, so they're more than capable of of joining in, and it increases the level of the session because you've seen it in the past where you may only have a small group topping up that's really really hard to to drive them, but when you've got the manager there and the assistants, it's like no we need to train well there today. So yeah, I found that brilliant to be fair, um, and then at the end I can just do any of the extra conditioning that they need really. Yeah, I can imagine it's big enough for getting a coach to be involved, but the fact that the the manager and coaches 
are involved in it is always going to push players, isn't it? And I suppose from the from their perspective as well, all ex players they're not going to have lost that competitive oh, instinct okay. either. Yeah. yeah, it gets a little bit heated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah some of it ends up in court on the Friday, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I think that's great advice, though. Um, obviously, from Adam in terms of keeping keeping things fun because it can become repetitive, can't it, across a long season. Like I said, when players are in that same group, you don't just want to do the same thing over and over again and, and lose that intensity. So yeah. I think it's really important. And there's been some good discussions on the community about different ways people go about it. So, no, I think it's a really important thing. And I think it's really timely for this time of year as well, isn't it? Definitely. I think even with those players as well, you really have to show them that you care about them. Yeah. You really, you're doing everything you can to get them in the squad. and seen a quote recently it was like nobody cares how much you know when they know how much you care yeah so with those like small group of players if you can really show them that that you care about them and you're trying to get them back into the squad I think they'll appreciate it much more 100% yeah 100% George that's been brilliant mate I think we've covered some some good stuff there I think I would encourage anyone that hasn't gone on the community and watched the presentations that you and the, the other guys did like like ads um, and the other coaches at Leeds because it was a brilliant breakdown of all the work that you had going on there um, and that is available now on the community so it'll, it'll give a little bit of um, context to some of the things that you've talked about in terms of your time there but I really appreciate you coming on if people have got questions George if they want to reach out ask anything about anything that we've covered have you got anywhere that you direct them? Yeah definitely um, Twitter is probably the best one um, I think my handle is just George Oh, X. I think it's just George Bell 91. So, yeah, more than happy for people to to message me on there. It's, it's no problem at all. I'm delighted to chat. Brilliant, mate. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot for your time and good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you to George for coming on the podcast. Make sure to go and check him out. He's over on X or Twitter at George Bell 91. And Big thank you to everybody for listening to the episode as well. I really appreciate it. Takeaways on this one for me. I think the first one that stands out is um, when George spoke about the initial interaction with the lead staff. Just taking opportunities, putting yourself out there, asking to go and shadow or um, volunteering your work. I think that the worst that can happen is uh, coaches can say no. And obviously... They didn't, and that led to George getting the job at Leeds and then on to Portsmouth, and who knows how different the journey would have been if he wouldn't have put himself out there. So I think that's definitely the first thing to take away. Um, the other thing he spoke about was his interactions with players and how he um, treated every training session with players, especially this was sort of in reference to the time at Leeds under Bielsa, was that one good training session could change a career. And he spoke about uh, Bielsa looking out for one thing that a player might do that impresses him, that then gives him the opportunity to start. Kind of similar to what we just spoke about in terms of coaches and George. But having that in mind with players and supporting them with that, I think is absolutely massive. And we see it so many times, don't we, where young players get an opportunity and then just don't look back. So in academy positions, taking that sort of approach with players, I think is is a great one to have. Um, In terms of knowing the boundaries of players. Obviously, the, everything we hear about Bielsa's work with players, he really did push the boundaries. But 
I think it's great to hear the, the insights and like doing the 15 minutes of murder ball before a game. Um, these are just things that we wouldn't put players through. And when a coach like this brings these challenges, these unique challenges, it kind of does open you to open your eyes to right. What is the future going to hold? Um, how much can we actually push players? And I think we've got to sort of use a um, a critical mind, I suppose, in terms of other changes need to be made with the way that we uh, prepare players and can we push them more. And then the other thing was that the time. George spent getting the clips together for players, treating in each individual. It sounds like the players really respected that. And um, in terms of player buy-in, it sounds like it was a big way of getting players on board. So definitely a good bit of advice from George there, if that's something that you could do at your club and with your players. So I'm sure you took plenty away from this one. I hope you did. Go and check out the presentation that George did alongside his uh, colleagues at Leeds that's available right now on the community. I think it's on the second page, possibly, of the Network Meeting Presentation tab. So go and check that out at footballfitfed.com. And a massive thank you for listening. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 280.